Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Hey everybody, um, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is a quick hit for night two of Nashville. Um, this is RJ and I am here with a guest, Tim, who reached out to us on Facebook. Um, Tim, thanks for reaching out and uh, thanks for doing this. Absolutely, I'm honored. Appreciate it. Um, so you're on your way back from two nights in Nashville. Those people who are looking for a quick hit from us, we actually did a couch report last night instead and um, hope we'll put a link to that in case people want to check it out. But um, we were able to do a set break and a pre-show kind of couch report and talk about night one a little bit. But um, 
night two we haven't really got into yet. Um, Tim, it's it seemed to me like a a little bit of strange first set, um, including you know several slow songs in the middle, but a really great opening part, really great closing part. Curious about your take, given that uh, that you were there on that first set. It's weird, you know. Afterwards, I saw some commentary online of people talking about how off they were and it's just funny when you're there i don't know if it's the live setting or that you're watching it or the clarity of listening to it recorded or through a webcast versus you know coming out of the speakers but i thought it was phenomenal and um, i'm curious to go back and listen to it and be like oh yeah that was rough here or there i mean i have my criticisms like anybody um, but i thought it was really good and right before the set started i was just talking to some guy next to me and he said something about the full moon and we made a joke about you know it's gonna get weird and um coming out with the 2001 second song was like oh my god what are we in for here you know and even 555 which is normally like a clean funky song felt kind of dirty and it just i'm thinking like are we going to go antelope or carini or something like that right in the middle of the first set Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. you just heard heard the whole crowd's disappointment which you know always lets me down a little bit when you can audibly hear the whole place go like (laughs) ah but it did for farmhouse it did feel that way a little bit you know and my take has always been when you look at the whole of what we love about fish and what they do and how they surprise you and all that, I'm fine with any direction they want to go because that slow song could have been the most beautiful version or someone could have really felt, you just never know. But I think it's safe to say it really, (laughs) it didn't really work. Um, You know, farmhouse halfway to the moon, actually, I thought pages piano solo. It just really, stuck out as being amazing and i like that song a lot i like it too and and that worked you know it was kind of weird between what what it was between like starting out kind of raging and then slow and then that and then slow again with waste um but there the little jam in halfway to the moon it almost had a feel of like um taste which is a song i really miss hearing Mm -hmm. it sounded a little more like building and then you know, I love that riff at the end, that escalating riff. Um, and then, you know, it got kind of crazy again, even though um, Maze got a little bit botched. It still, the energy was there. And that gin, I thought, was really good, um, <clears throat> but kind of mimicked the first night where it seems like most often people kind of get a feel a tone of a fish show is either being kind of like evil and dark or being really kind of transcendent and climbing and both nights just kind of felt like um very experimental but i thought it worked yeah but they they did seem different don't you think yeah the bathtub gin especially it's sort of a tom and i said on the couch report that we did at set break like it, it went type two almost immediately it was like the jam was nowhere near the song structure at all, really. Right. And the other thing that I thought was, uh, that I really liked in it, well, first of all, coming out of the, you know, the final vocal melodies, it's almost like I got this feeling watching it that it's almost like they were all possessed by something. All of a sudden, it's like 
on a dime. They all moved to like this really beautiful, peaceful. It's almost like they were in a bubble for a minute. And then um, I think it was, I think it was that cut. I can't remember if it was there or the second set. Um, they just like totally switched gears without kind of bridging to it. And I remember that happening a first, uh, a couple times the first night, maybe during everything's right. Um, where instead of kind of going from A to B to C, but seeing how they got there, it's almost like they just stopped and started over on something else, but collectively. And again, it worked because it, it was a little different than what we expect. And that's what we like about fish. It's, it's funny. People's expectations on fish are so constant, but what we love about them is them exceeding or um, doing something that we don't expect. And then you get upset with them when they attempt to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think that's just the, you know, like you're, you're talking a lot about the kind of psychology of the fish fan, you know, it's sort of like stuff that we all, yeah. we all go back and forth through. Um, it's interesting that um, I feel like when I was in Hampton, um, all three nights I was just expecting a down with disease every night. And, and then you guys got it the second night in Nashville. This is the first time I played this tour. It's not like it's been that long, but um, I was kind of expecting it. They they rely on that as a uh, as a second set vehicle so much. So you guys probably weren't surprised to get that as the opener, right? When it started, it was like, oh, of course. I, I didn't <laughs> right, right. see it coming, but yeah, as soon as it started, I was like, oh, that's exactly it, you know? And it kind of blending into first night or the whole run or whatever, you know, the hype on things like Hampton or Alpharetta or the thing, it's, the, the shows that it seems like the entire fan base looks forward to and talk about expectations, you know, something mm -hmm. like the Hampton run. Right. And then having them, I, I haven't listened to the shows, but uh, it sure seems like they delivered in Hampton. So I kind of thought to myself, like, oh, am I going to go to like the sleepy, you know, kind of thrown together shows between Hampton and Vegas? And, um, you know, the first night coming out with the Twee Prize into party time was like, oh, OK, no, they're ready. And the whole thing, the whole run felt really good to me i don't know if it was perfect um but it was perfect for me and my dad actually went with me he's never seen him he's just seen me go see them a million times and um so he was interested and came and you know his first comment at set break was i get it now that's awesome and man that's I thought great the two nights yeah and i thought the two nights it was like if you were to say to something like let me give you a, a sample of what fish does i thought the two nights collectively had it all yeah it's, it's sort of a um benefit of the multi-night run you know you get a little bit of um you get a little bit of everything over the two nights i agree it seemed yeah. like two really good shows the, the the first set like you said um you described it well and i think they recovered you know that bathtub gin at the end was like a nice way to bring it back but it, it really went into outer space so the screaming through space thing was a. Uh, they're getting weird this this uh this fall um before we <laughs> before we let you continue on your drive um tim what what's your yes. what are your halloween thoughts mm, um well again i don't have expectations or even wishes but if if i were to guess that makes you a good fish fan i think it's 
I think it's going to be um, the the two when I when I think about it, and I am going. The two thoughts that I have is I think it's going to be something a little more obscure. I think it's going to be more Velvet Underground Little Feet than Quadrophenia or David Bowie. It just seems like that what would be what's in line following suit. And I also keep having this vision that I think it's going to be a little more of a production like um, Exile on Main Street was with like horns or something additional to just them. That's really interesting. I like that perspective. I hadn't thought about the production piece, but I think the um, obscure thing is true. And I'm hearing I'm hearing so much uh, soundscape and psychedelic music from this tour that, you know, obviously I want to speculate, but we'll all be completely shocked, um, probably, or at least those those of us who would yeah, will admit to it, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something that uh, I'm Curious if it'll continue through Chicago that just dawned on me this morning. I don't think in Albany, but starting in Hampton, they've played one bust out from past Halloween uh, albums mm. every night. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it in Hampton? They did. Uh, um, what was it in Hampton? They did not. No, oh, they... Skin It Back. Right, right, right. Skin, skin It Back. back yeah. from Little Feet. Then. Cool It Down from Velvet Underground, and last night they did, uh, what the hell did they do? Cross-Eyed and Painless. Right, that's a good point. I actually so I don't think I even saw that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just dawned on me this morning. So I'm curious if uh, tomorrow they play, like, Why My Guitar Gently Weeps or Drowned or uh, one of those, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good call, man. Um, that Hampton had this had the skin it back, of course, um, and... Um, Actually, you had to shine a light encore um, on uh, on Saturday night. So yeah, there's oh, a, that's right. Yeah, and there was there the stra- strawberry See? letter Friday, but but not from. Uh, it's just right. a cover. Is that but... a foreshadow? They're going to go more like something R and B or something like that. Who knows? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. That's a really good um, call. Um, I wonder if if other people listening have thoughts on it. Please, obviously, let us know. Um, that's an interesting observation yeah. on the on the covers piece. Well, um, what, what was your takeaway after two nights of, of, of Nashville now that you're heading to, uh, heading into, uh, next week? Well, you know, I, I know you started to talk about second set. We got off topic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A couple of things I haven't, before this run, I saw them in Pittsburgh last year. I didn't get to any of the dozen and I didn't go to any summer tour. So I've heard about all these things. I was finally able to see with my own eyes, even some of the newer songs, you know, the soul theme and all of that. Um, I hadn't seen the moving lights in person. And uh, that was impressive to say the least. It's pretty um, crazy. It's a pretty crazy production. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like Mike has really hit a new level of confidence. Almost. It seems like he's almost playing lead sometimes. I was really taken back with his playing um one sort of i don't know critical observation i i listened to the uh ask trey from the serious uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interview on the way down and he was talking about how dialed in his tone was and he's back to trey 94 easily and that kind of thing and i don't know how it came through on the recordings but his 
tone sounded off to me both nights. It wasn't necessarily bad. It just didn't quite sound like Trey. It sounded like Trey playing through somebody else's rig. Like if he sat in with somebody and it was his style and uh, hand, mm-hmm. hand style and fingering style, but there's almost like a, a buzziness or like remind me of like plugging an Ibanez guitar into a shitty amp or something like that. Did you notice any of that? I didn't, not from uh, listening or or watching the webcast, but um, you know, uh, Ryan from Trey's guitar rig got to talk with Trey at Hampton for like approximately 30 to 60 minutes about his rig. And um, if you don't follow uh, at Trey's guitar rig on, on Twitter, you should, because he's, he's just started kind of, uh, looking at the rig right now and and kind of cataloging what's different and there are things that are different and I don't know enough to tell you but I know that there's like there's a lot that's um that's different now in terms of equipment but it's, I think it's mostly pedal pedals and gear not like the you know the core components but um yeah right but but that might be worth looking into further and people who are listening tweet at us and let us know what you think because I I didn't notice that last night what I noticed last night was just a lot of difficulty with the compositions you know and but but soul planet um and bathtub gin the kind of bookends of the set were trey's playing was really great it was almost like it was just not a good night for composed tunes you know they just wanted to kind the of only improvise thing I could think of too it was it was cold like it was mm-hmm. um bordering like cold not just cool but cold and uh you know just like somehow Trey never breaks a guitar string. I never see them sweat under those lights, especially now that they're like four feet off their head. <laughs> right. So, uh, I mean, it had to affect, it had to affect their fingering. It just had to. I mean, it was, I want to say it was like 40 out, but it felt damp and cold and that had to uh, affect them for sure. I just, both nights, you know, no matter how much you move, my joints and everything felt, tight and um that that had to play a part i would think yeah that's a good um, that's a good maybe call. The body not following what the mind or heart wanted to do uh but you still getting, got two so good to, go still ahead. got you still got two great shows <laughs> oh absolutely and yeah to kind of round out the second set um sense and subtle sounds i don't i think that was played relatively recently but that really took me by surprise and they um played so delicately out of the the vocal part um mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. you know got into like those fun teases and it's always fun to see that like they still have that you know i mean that's one of the things in the 90s that attracted me to fish was like the antics that way yeah and uh yep, to totally they still have that at their age and this many years in is is uh neat to me no man even though it's catchy, I've always felt like it was a little bit cheap. That song always sounds to me like if I told you, hey, hum your version of a fish funk song to me, like come up with one on your own. That's what it would be. You know, it's a little bit generic, but being there live last night, it just, uh, it had it all. And I felt like this is perfect fish. Like this is the perfect example of, quirkiness and funkiness and having that climbing uh catch and release type jam i thought that was really really great nothing special or memorable per se but just 
when you're at a show and you're like, this is an outdoor fish show right here, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's great. And um, what else? Boogie on Hood. Nothing really to write home on either of that. I thought the the crowd really uh, loved Boogie on being played. I, I wish they wouldn't have taken that like couple second uh, pause between and Mike you know, kind of gave a, a tease by putting that fuzz in. I think if they would have went right into that out of uh, No Man's, the place would have went crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a little transition. Yeah, that's fair. And the, yeah. um, no, the, the, yeah, that was like the second time this tour also, I think. And the, man, the, the Antelope Encore, that was another one at Hampton that I was just, I was waiting for. It's only been, a, you know, since Dick's that they played it, but it felt like, Felt like it was coming every night, um, but but you got it as an encore, which is a nice encore. It wasn't like the craziest antelope, but nice that it wasn't just like a, a short a short ballad or something as an encore. Yeah, being there, it made me uh, made me feel. Uh, it felt like damn near perfect there, and I did feel that coming. I thought it was going to be placed oddly in like the middle of a set, but it just felt like that kind of night, like for a really noisy uh kind of evil antelope and and it felt that way there but that was one of the main things i i saw people online talking about where they kind of missed so i'm curious to listen back to that one you know the difference of being live versus hearing it clear and through headphones or speakers or or what have you yeah and um another piece of that you know i went there on a whim in 16 and caught those shows and um you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin it now, but I think that venue is one of the best kept secrets on tour. Mm-hmm. Right in downtown Nashville, it seats like seven thousand people. It's tiny. I don't know how it doesn't sell out instantly and isn't like shoulder to shoulder packed because both in sixteen and uh, you know this run, it it felt like you have a lot of space. Whether you're in the pavilion or the lawn, there's no pavilion over the seats only over the stage so the sound comes through in a really clear almost uh strikingly crisp way and because there's nothing over you sending the the sound down got it the the seats are out in the open the lawn's out in the open it's a small lawn and behind the lawn is a city sidewalk street so it's a perfect show to go to if you don't have a ticket you can literally stand at a fence watch and hear the whole thing that's cool yeah Um, i've heard from a lot of people that it's just an amazing place to visit well um there's no uh lot scene though that's one thing oh right right there's like nowhere to have it well tim what do you what do you think we should play on the way out send some subtle sounds right out of the vocals they just started so quiet and then i think it'll be fun for people to hear the um the the teases of other songs cool well thanks for for reaching out and, and for joining us and for sharing your experience with us we appreciate you uh joining us yeah, I'm happy to do it. Are you going to be in Vegas, RJ? Yeah, I'll be there for the first two nights. Cool. I'll come yeah. and find you and say hi. All right, man. I hope so. Well, thanks again. Appreciate you taking the time. All right. Thanks. See you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. 
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.